Welcome back to Pancreas Pals, a podcast by diabetics for diabetics. I'm Emily, a writer and editor. And I'm Miriam, a licensed mental health counselor. We're just two women trying to live our best diabetic lives. While it might not always be easy due to the literal highs and lows, it always helps to have a pancreas pal to turn to. Hey guys, welcome to Pancreas Pals. Emily here, and this week we have Dr. Mark Heyman. He is the CEO of Center for Diabetes Mental Health and author of Diabetes Sucks and You Can Handle It. And also he has his own podcast, the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. Welcome, Dr. Heyman. Thank you so much, Emily. Good to be here. I'm excited. I uh, I actually got all of that title out, uh, <laughs> but we're, I'm happy to have you. Miriam is still on what we're calling maternity leave, um, so I'm so excited to have a mental health expert sitting in this chair with me for this week. Um, to start out, our spiel is always about our diagnosis stories, so I would love if you could share yours if you don't mind. You bet. So I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes on June the 1st, 1999. Um, I was a third year in I was a third year in college and just finishing up my junior year. And the thing about my diagnosis was I I've been studying French for a long time, and I had gotten an internship at the U.S. Embassy in Paris for the summer. And so right before the summer started, I got really sick, but I didn't want to admit that I was sick. I certainly didn't want to go to the doctor because. I was convinced that the doctor would tell me that my trip to Paris would have to be off. And I didn't want that to happen. So, I mean, looking back on it, that was a little bit silly. Not that <laughs> my trip to Paris could be off, but the fact that I was extremely sick and that I was being stubborn and not going to the doctor um, because of that. Anyway, um, there came a point where I just couldn't function anymore. I remember walking to class, trying to walk up a hill, and I just couldn't make it. And I went to the student health center and I told them what was going on and they called me back into a room and the doctor uh, checked my blood sugar with a finger stick and it said high. And I was thinking, well, you know, high, medium, low, high is not that big a deal. But he goes and looks, <laughs> look, he looks up in the, in the little manual of like what the blood, the glucose meter, um, what it meant. And he figured out it meant over 600. And he kind of, sh- I don't think they've ever seen someone that sick in the student health center at my college. And so he, he literally shoved me into a chair, called an ambulance and sent me to the hospital. And I'll tell you the most humiliating thing about it was the student health center was on one end of a quad, but there was no, there was no car access. So they had to wheel oh, me no. across this, like, this big quad at my college. And I was just horrified. Long story short, I went to the emergency room. They diagnosed me with type one diabetes and they sent me home and they said, you go see an endocrinologist tomorrow. And they, they made me an appointment. So I went home and I had, I, I had Chinese food, I had some Dr. Oh, Pepper. I, they, they didn't tell me what to eat. Right. Um, but I went home and I'm like, I'm just going to eat whatever I'm going to eat. So I don't think they gave me insulin. They may have. I, I don't remember oh, that. No. But, but, it, but I had an appointment the next morning with an endocrinologist. Um, the endocrinologist, uh, thank goodness, was a woman named Ann Peters. And if you don't know who Ann Peters is, she's a, a very well-known endocrinologist in the LA area. She, she uh, is famous for seeing patients who are Olympic athletes. I think she's Nick Jonas's doctor. I mean, now she is. At that, that time, Nick Jonas wasn't a thing. And he was like one years old. <laughs> exactly. But luckily, but I got I got assigned to her and, and she she like she sat with me for probably two hours that morning. Oh my god. Like going over diabetes and like helping me to understand at least from a very high level like what I had to do. 
at the end of our appointment, she said to me, do you have any other questions for me? And I kind of timidly said, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, I'm planning to go to Paris in two weeks and I guess I have to cancel my trip. And she looked at me like I was kind of crazy. And she's like, why would you have to do that? So two weeks after I was diagnosed type 1 diabetes, I got on a plane and flew to Paris and spent the summer there. And that's amazing. it was awesome. And I have to tell you that that experience and her really empowering um, message that she sent me has just stuck with me. That diabetes doesn't have to get in my way of doing anything. And that I, you know, I can do it. And I just, I, I, that's really stuck with me with, in my, for myself, but also it's a message I try to send to my patients because we get so many messages about diabetes from all over the place, including our doctors, about how it has to get in our way and how things can't be easy. And I just don't think that's true. I mean, not that diabetes is easy, but that we can't do everything that in life that um, we want to do, even if we have diabetes. And the I great thing so is, is I, sent, I, sent, I, sent, I, I sent Dr. Peters a copy of my book um, because she's in it. I mean, her, oh, okay. that, that story is in the book. And I, I got a very nice note back from her. Just like it was very, it's like, I'm so proud of what you've done. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it, it, it was really kind of heartwarming. I love that. Um, we actually have a lot of similarities between our diagnoses. Um, I head back to season one, episode one listeners to listen to my full diagnosis story. Um, I always seem to make episodes about me, but here we are. I'm diving feet first into this one. Um, I was diagnosed in between my sophomore and junior year of college. And um, I too was like walking. I remember sitting through a lecture, getting up to every like five minutes. And I went to the health center at Boston University and I'd already been been being, I had been monitored for what they had told me I was pre-diabetic for about two years. I had a, I had a weird diagnosis, not from my college university, but from my hometown. It was like a whole thing, but I ended up getting on a plane two years, two years, two days after my diagnosis and going to New York, which is very different than leaving the country and going to a place where, you know, they don't, you don't, well, it sounds like you did speak the language, but, um, you know, it's just, I remember thinking like, looking back now, I'm like, how the heck did I do that without knowing much at all about diabetes? But I ended up getting amazing healthcare here in New York. But I, like, just as someone who was diagnosed in 2014, I had so much access to all this technology. And I remember I ended up getting a Dexcom and an insulin pump within, like, six months of my diagnosis. My insurance mm -hmm. actually made me wait that long, like, which is a whole other thing. Um, but I'm curious, and not to, like, outdate myself, but what was it like in the 90s? Because we're used to, I mean, like it took longer for, I know you're probably going to kill me. He, you are effervescent. You're not old at all, but I'm very curious as to know, like, how did that differ A, from your diagnosis, but B, then going to Europe, which was it different there at that time too in the technology? Well, we didn't have technology at that point. Right. Um, like I, mean, I, 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 I should say, you know, we, we had technology, but it was very it's obsolete now. So Primitive, we didn't yeah. have, we, I mean, we had glucose one and this isn't the dark ages because I mean, we can go back to the dark ages of diabetes in the seventies and eighties and right. even before that. But when I was diagnosed, we had blood glucose meters. Uh, it took about a, you had to have a big drop of blood and took about a minute to get minute. the results. So we had, a, you, you, check, you checked them and you had to wait and wait and wait while, while it counted down and gave you a number. Uh, so, and test strips were, were and still are very expensive. And so, you know, we got two or, th or three or four of them a day. Uh, I think the biggest difference was actually though the insulin that we were using. Right. 
Um, you know, when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed right before Lantus came out. So we wow. were, I was using, I was using MPH and regular. And for those of you who don't know, NPH is, is a long acting insulin, but basically it's an insulin that it, it's regular, regular insulin, which is the, pre, the precursor to like Humalog and Novolog. But it was basically that mixed with a chemical that made it cloudy and that made it last a lot longer. But the thing about that insulin, and you, you may have heard these stories for those of you who are younger, um, of having you, people with diabetes having to, having to keep a very, very strict schedule. They have to eat at 6 a.m. and noon and 6 p.m. And the reason for that is because, because, because of MPH. MPH peaks. So you take, you take your insulin and four hours later, it peaks. And so if you don't eat, you'll crash low. So I think that was, that was the biggest challenge um, of you know, di diabetes at that time for me. Um, soon after I got back from Harris, I actually got put on an insulin pump. And I've been on an insulin pump ever, ever since. Uh, and uh, but for many years, I was checking my blood sugar um, frequently or infrequently. And and then uh, I got I put I got put on a Dexcom in probably 2013. I want to say that's so, awesome. And for yeah. me, that was a that was a that was a game changer. I, I, as is for everybody, but um, you know, it's, you, it sounds like you were very lucky that you got put on Dexcom right away. Um, you know, yeah. so I had to learn how I learned how to learn how to manage my diabetes using a stick shift, and you got <laughs> you got to you got to use an automatic right away. I know I'm like a Tesla already, but um, <laughs> I do I do think that you know even I just Miriam and again Miriam and I discuss this all the time because she was also diagnosed in the 90s, um, but she was like probably 10. I can't remember. She was like six to 10, so she was really little, so she doesn't remember a lot of her care. You know, her parents took care of her until helped with her care, all that stuff. I was diagnosed at 20. So for me, it was, you know, always just me doing everything, you know, and I'm not complaining. It's I'm glad my mom didn't have to stress about that. But um, I think it is very different thinking about the technology and all the stuff that's come out and also me being the one having given care, similar to you, doing all of your own care. Um, but that experience sounds wild. I'm very impressed with you going to Paris, but also I mean, technology is huge. So there's so much I want to ask you. That was kind of like the first things that came to my mind when you told your diagnosis story. But let's talk a little bit about your path into mental health and how um, this book came about. Okay. So <laughs> You're like, long. yeah. That, that's, that's a long story. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I wish that I could give you a really good, like solid, like step-by-step process. But I, so when I was diagnosed with di diabetes, I was in a third year at UCLA and I was studying political science and I, I ended up graduating with a degree in political science. And somehow, and it was after my diagnosis, although I can't tell you that it was actually directly related to my diagnosis, I decided to change paths and I really wanted to go into psychology. And I don't, I, I, I wish I could say, yes, I have, I've always wanted to do what I wanted to do, um, what I'm doing now. Uh, that's not actually true. But what happened was, if you, for those of you who don't know, getting into psychology grad school is really competitive, and you need a really good story. And I, I had diabetes, and that diabetes kind of became my story. And and then it became a self fulfilling prophecy. So I, I said, I, I want to go into I want to go into mental health and study psychology so that I can, you know, because diabetes is a big deal. It's it's under it's underserved in the mental health field, which is which was true then, and certainly is still true now. And that's what I want to do. And I thought, oh, that would be a good story. And it was. It got me in grad school. And then I realized it was actually a really good story to actually continue on with. 
And so that's kind of the path that I took. I, I took a de- I took some detours along the way, um, which were actually great for me to learn how to see patients with all kinds of different challenges. Because I think that the reality is, is it, in the world of diabetes and mentalis, certainly we have diabetes specific challenges like you know burnout and fear of low blood sugar and diabolemia, which we see a lot. But those don't exist in a silo. You have to be able to you know see people who have lots of other challenges, including diabetes and be able to help them. And so getting a broad range of clinical experience um, was extremely helpful for me. That's very, that's very interesting. I actually, and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, I see a psychiatrist who's also a type one and she oh. specializes. Um, shout out to Dr. Schiffeldrum in New York. But um, I know her. Yeah, well, she's she's my, y'all can talk about me later. Um, but she's my, uh, she's my doctor. I've been seeing her. I actually had an instance um, I've always suffered from anxiety and I'm like chicken in the egg. Like, you know, it definitely came to a head when I was diagnosed with type one, but long, long been an anxious human, um, got some OCD thrown in there just for fun. So, um, I was having a lot of issues with like insulin, like getting past the mental block of giving myself insulin and like all this kind of stuff. And she's been super helpful, but, um, I know Miriam, also is a type 1 diabetic and she's a licensed mental health counselor and that played a huge role in her career choice um, especially because it is so underserved which is wild when you look at all the different types of diabetes and how big of a population has to deal with this I know type 1 is just a facet of that I think it's something like five percent of all diabetics are type 1 but everyone who's diabetic has their own battle no matter what kind you have so I'm curious do you see a lot of type 1 specifically or do you see kind of like the gamut? I only see people with type one. Amazing. Okay, I, I so... will not see people. I will not see someone who does not have type one diabetes. <laughs> that I mean, answers and, that and, question. And, and not not because I'm discriminatory, but because I can't help them. I my right. expertise, my expertise, like just like you wouldn't go see uh, um, a dermatologist if you had an earache. Gotcha. You wouldn't go. I, you know, and a dermatologist wouldn't see you for an earache unless yeah. it was a it was a drastic emergency. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to see somebody who does not diabetes because I cannot help them in the best way possible. Gotcha. And there are specialists out there who do. So, I mean, I, oh, there yeah. are, there's a lot and, you know, anyone who has a different type of diabetes knows that there are different struggles with each type. So it's definitely mm-hmm. not a one size fits all for sure. Nope. Um, but when it comes to your book, I love mm-hmm. the title, by the way, everyone, it is um, Diabetes Sucks and You Can Handle It. Uh, I'm pretty sure we all need that on a t-shirt. Um, but how did, how did writing this come about? Was this a culmination of your years of experience? Um, was this you having a bad day and being like, okay, someone else needs to read this too. (laughs) So I've been trying to write a book for a long time. And if you've ever, for any of you who've ever tried to write a book, it's, it's a challenging thing because you have to have a, a, a very clear message that you want to be sending. And I realized kind of through lots of fits and starts that, the message that I had wasn't extremely clear. Like we talk about, we can write a book about diabetes and mental health, but that's that's way too broad. And so one day, so I remember this day very well. It was la- it was about a year and a half ago. I had a patient come into my office to see me. He's a young a young guy uh, just out of high school, and he said to me something like "diabetes sucks." I mean, I mean, not, he actually said it's hard. He said diabetes sucks. It wasn't something like that. Uh, he said diabetes <laughs> sucks, and my response to him was, "Yeah, and you can handle it." And, no, I, I think I said, but you can handle it. And then I corrected myself and I said, no, and you can handle it. We can't say but. It's not, it's not an either or. It's, it is an and. And I was like, that's my book. 
that that is the book. And literally after he left my office, I sat there and I outlined it out of okay, we need to what we need to do is we need to write a book. Or I sorry, not we. I need to write a book <laughs> that um that really like is honest with people that diabetes is challenging because the worst thing we can do is tell people, oh, it's not that big of a deal or let you believe that's not that big of a deal because you're not doing yourself any favors because if you say it's not that, that big of a deal um, and pretend like it's not when it really is, you can't address it. You can't do anything about it. But at the same time, what I see a lot in my work is that people make it a much bigger deal than it has to be. They say things like, my life is over because I have diabetes. And that's just not true. That's a story we're telling ourselves. And so the first goal is to bring people into this place of honesty, both the diabetes sucks. However, it probably doesn't suck as bad as you think it does, or sometimes, or as you make it out to, especially on those bad days that we all have, when we all make it suck, more, or when diabetes makes it suck, and also we all make it suck in our minds more than it has to. But then after being honest, like I realized we need to give people a clear path. Okay, so we, we, you've been dealt the bad card, of, a bad hand of cards. So what do you do about it? How do you handle that bad, that bad hand of cards? And so the rest of the book really focuses on, okay, so we have it, have this thing that we, that sucks. How do you handle it? How do you deal with it in a way that doesn't get make things get in your way? Just like my doctor gave me that message when I was diagnosed about, I can go to Paris, even though I have diabetes. How can you do whatever it is you want to do, even though you have diabetes? But that takes skill. It's not, okay, just snapping your finger and say, I'm going to do it. It takes a lot of skills to be able to learn to handle the stress of diabetes because it is stressful. And so the book really paves the path for people to be able to learn those skills and practice those skills on a regular basis so that they can handle diabetes. Now a word from one of our sponsors. Hey, Christy, have you heard of US Med Supply? I think I've seen a commercial for it. It's a medical supply company, right? Yeah, but apparently they're the number one distributor for Freestyle Libre Systems nationwide, the number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash, and the number one fastest growing tandem distributor nationwide. Plus, they're rated as the number one distributor in Dexcom customer satisfaction surveys. Ooh, sounds like something I need to check out. Do they partner with most insurance companies? Yep, and they'll even help us get set up and work with our insurance companies so we don't have to spend hours on the phone the actual dream. Right? We and all of our pals can head to usmed.com backslash pals or call 888-721-1516 to sign up now. Already on their website. And now back to the episode. Apart from, um, and I do want to get into a little bit of not full specifics because we want people to buy the book, but uh, uh, some of the input there, um, like actionable paths. But mm-hmm. what in your life, aside from Paris, or maybe it was Paris, was your moment realizing, have you had multiple moments like diabetes sucks and I'm running a marathon and I'm doing this? Like what What are those moments that have stood out to you? I know I have a few, um, but it's so cyclical, mental health. Like it's like you yeah. really master and like come to terms with something and then boom, something happens and you're like back to square one, but you have to work back through that and remember all the things that you've learned. So, um, I mean, I can, I can tell you lots of stories about how diabetes has sucked for me from the time that I, I remember and when my first job out of college, I, my blood sugar went really, really high during a meeting and I just bombed the meeting. 
And and then my boss got mad at me because she didn't know what was going on because I kept I, I kept I didn't tell her what was going on. So like she yeah. had no knowledge about the fact that I was like feeling awful, and so she thought I was just like a lazy employee. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, to, to times when I've had really severe low blood sugars, and like it's been really scary for my family and my friends. Um, you know, so there, there are lots of those challenges. But then to see that I've been able to get past that and and to go through it and not not let those things, not, not hold on to those challenges, but to see them as, see them what they are, and then to be able to let them go and to be able to continue moving on and not letting um, those things hold me back. I mean, I, I do lots of adventurous things. I mean, I, I scuba dive, I've, I, ha- I've, I went skydiving many years ago. Oh my um, God. <laughs> I, you know, uh, that, that was a one-time thing, but you know. I, I ha- <laughs> you made I, it. I, I, I had run a marathon and I, I don't say that to brag at all, but I want to, I just want, you know, I, I, I do those things and diabetes doesn't really kind of come. It's not front of mind when I do those things. It doesn't right. say, oh, it's I, not I, a brag I, either. You could be proud. How, how, how can I do this if I have diabetes? It's like, okay, well, I, I, I have, di- I'm going to do this and I had diabetes. So like, how do I just make sure that I stay safe and make sure that I am able to do it in the best way possible? And so, is that kind of something that your book shows too? Yeah, I mean, my stories are my story is throughout the book, and so I talk about I talk about all the challenges that I have. And just by the way, I, I do this for a living, but my diabetes management is far from perfect, far from perfect. And I, I think that's important for people to know that. And, and I'm happy to share with you or share with people my, you know, my Dexcom data, um, <laughs> because, because because I want and I, I show that I show it to my patients all the time because I want them to see that you know, perfection is not the not the goal here. And it can't be for any right. of us because if it is, then we're all going to be failures and that's exactly. not, 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 not what we want to have happen. For sure. And I think that, I mean, I have a strict rule because we get a lot of DMs on Instagram asking like, oh, well, what's your A1C? What's this? And I'm like, I have a strict rule where we don't share because I don't want any of my listeners to compare themselves. Like also yeah. my A1C one part in my life is not always the same as it is in another part of my life. We're all exactly. on our own journeys. Like, also, what even is an A1C? I'd rather look at time and range. There's like right. all these other things. So yeah, and, and um, by the way, I, I won't share my A1C, but I will share like my daily graph just yeah. to show people. Oh like, yeah, uh, for sure. To show, to show people a snapshot of okay, well, what does Mark's graph look like today? It's not a straight line. It is no. all over the all over the place. And um, I do think that social media kind of amplifies that word at least you see it or I see it on my feed, which has made me take many a break from our Pancreas Pals Instagram account um, for my own mental health. But people just a lot of times post the good days, you know, and it's it's not all like that. Like, yeah, if you zoom in six hours, oh my God, what a flat mm-hmm. line. But then you zoom out 24 hours and it's like, what did she do today? And it's like, right. I lived a fulfilling life today, you know? And at the end of the day, that's what I want to take away. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I don't want that to add up into like, you know, not being on top of things forever, but you know, there it's give and take. And I think, um, I don't know if you've, how you feel about social media, because I remember when I was first diagnosed, there really wasn't a community online. Like I think Instagram came out a few years after I was diagnosed. And, um, I, Christy and I, my original co-host and I started this podcast for one of those reasons, because we didn't really have a community and, um, it's really helped us, but also, there's a lot online that's like, what's going on? So do you have any, as a mental health practitioner, do you have any tips on managing online presence in type 1 diabetes? 
Yeah, I, I think I'm actually a big fan of it for the most part with some boundaries. Because when I was diagnosed, we didn't have any of that. And I felt for many years, I felt alone myself. And until, you know, probably about 10 years ago, where I started meeting many people with diabetes and really getting into the community and doing the work. But I also think it's important to check yourself and to be careful with who you follow and also uh, how much stock you put into what they're saying. Because as you say, it's not all sunshine and roses and it can't be. And anyone tells you that it, that it is, is either lying to themselves or delusional. And it's just, that's just not, not realistic. But I think I, I've actually seen a lot of value in social media for that same reason, because people feel so isolated and so alone and like no one can understand them. And what a great way to be able to easily and accessibly not feel that way, to be able to feel like you're connected and to feel like you're not crazy. For sure. Um, I, th- in that I feel like, I feel like, um, I gaslight myself a lot of the time with, uh, with feeling a little like, you know, I'm seeing what other people are doing and I'm like, oh, then I must be doing something wrong. And then it's like, no, that's not how it works. Um, but during the pandemic, especially not being able to do diabetes meetups with our pals, like we used to do in New York and, um, not being able to see friends for a while <laughs> during those last however many years, I, I do find that there's a lot of bonuses to social media. So yeah, it's when wild. I, when, I, when I meet a when I meet a patient for the first time, one of the questions I always ask them is, "Who else do you know in your life that has type one?" And I would say seventy to eighty percent of them say, "You're the first person I've ever had a conversation with who has type one." And I said that has to change. I'm not, you don't need to have a best friend. You don't need to like dive into the community and all you do is diabetes, but you need to know other people with type one, just so that you know that you are normal and that, that your experience is not outside of the realm of what is normal. Because so often people come in to see me and they say, I'm, you know, I, my blood sugars are out of control and I, my time in range is awful at 65%. And I laugh at them because 65% is actually pretty good. <laughs> and, but but with, without without context and without having community to know what that's like and to know that when you go low, that's what it feels like and that everybody feels embarrassed, everybody feels shaky, everyone feels sweaty and that you're not weak for feeling that way, that you're a normal human being. That's extremely powerful for people's mental health. For sure. I, one of our top listened episodes is one called I Beep at Work. And it was literally about uh, my Dexcom going off in the office and being like, oh, by the way, guys, I have type one. I've since obviously, um, since it's been like eight years, going on nine years for me with type one, like I am, and I have a podcast, I'm very open about it. (laughs) I always like to say I'm like that scene from Carrie running around with blood on my hands, like what's going on? I have type one, but um, at least people know I have it now, you know, but uh, I think, you know, what are some of your tips? And again, Listeners, I did not really prep Dr. Heyman for any of these questions, so sorry for putting you on the spot with all these things, Um, but I know your book, you talk about how to manage the stress of type one um, Mm -hmm. when you're trying to like control it. I, you know, what are some of your like high level tips, especially in the workplace? Like I know that's a big stressor for a lot of us as adults with type one diabetes. In terms of how do you manage type one in the workplace? 
Yeah. Like what are, what about the stressors? Like, do you recommend patients have a plan? Do you recommend they tell their coworkers right away? Like, you know, keep, do you have any, what are like, I guess my question is what are the stressors that you're, that you hear most often from people, adults with type one in the workplace? Yeah. So it's really embarrassment and being self-conscious about their diabetes and feeling like diabetes is going to hold them back from getting promotions or by, from being respected that they're, that people, other people's perception of them is going to be different. And that's an assumption. That's a story that you tell yourself. And I always encourage people to test that story. Maybe not dive full deep into the, into the experience and you know, go and say, I had yell, yell from the top of your lungs in the lunchroom that you had diabetes. But you know, just when you, if you're going to lunch with a coworker on your first day, just pull out your pump or pull out your pen and bolus. Don't say anything, but just do it and see if they ask questions. See if anybody even notices. I think so often people, we, we're, I think so often we think that people are going to notice us for things that they are, they probably won't even notice at all. Uh, and you know, if you pulled out an insulin pump or a pen, someone may notice, oh, she's giving herself a, a, a shot, but they're probably not going to ask. And, probably, and three minutes later, they're going to not going to remember what you just did. But in your mind, um, you know, it's it's the biggest deal in the world. And they're gonna, they're, it's gonna put a stigma on you for the rest of your life. And that's just not true. That's usually not true. But the only way to find out is to test it. And that's really that's really true for not just in the workplace, but in in all areas of of your life, to test your assumptions about yourself and about other people and what their reaction to you is going to be. And so, and I don't, I think that it's important. You know, a big topic that I talk about a lot in the book and in my work is boundaries, boundaries with yourself with diabetes and also boundaries of people and boundaries. We always think about that as keeping people out, but boundaries are also about letting people in and doing, but doing it in a way that's going to keep you safe. That's going to, and that's going to keep you healthy. So you're not going to go and sit down with somebody the first time you meet them and tell them your entire life story, including your diabetes diagnosis and you know, about how awful your parents are and all, all those types of things, if that's true. Um, you're going to, you're going to kind of, you're going to meet someone, you're going to, you're going to re- reveal that information slowly as you get to trust them more. The same thing is true for diabetes in the workplace or in, in the dating world or wherever you are, is you're going to, hopefully you can, you know, let, let people in, test your assumptions about what their reaction will be. And then if you trust them more to be able to, you know, let them know more information. And then, of course, you want to keep yourself safe. And so we never want to have someone in a situation where nobody knows that they have diabetes because, and then something happens, like they go low and they need help, and the people have no idea what to do because that, that's really a safety issue. And we need to right. make sure that – and you need to be safe emotionally, but you also need to be safe physically. And those, those two things work together. It's hard to be safe emotionally if you're not safe physically and vice versa. That's that's a very good point. We have had, I vividly remember, we had someone on the podcast who actually like didn't disclose in college that he was a type one diabetic, and he passed out like twice, and his roommate had to call nine one one. And I was like, "But did you end up telling him?" And he was like, "No." And I was like, "Oh my god, I can't listen to the, <laughs> to the rest yeah. of this episode slash even though I'm supposed to be talking about it." Well, um, I, and, it- I, I, and I want people to ask themselves. So I, I had some I had a guest on my podcast last year, is a young lady who had dated a guy for a year and never t- throughout that whole year that they dated, never told him that she had type one. Now, How? 
I have no idea. I have no idea how she did it, but she was extremely secretive. And then she broke up with him. And she had now, and the, the, when we talked again, when we talked on the podcast, she was dating a new guy and she wanted to know how to tell him. And so we were kind of, kind of prepped her to be able to have that conversation. It was like, it was an interview we did on the podcast. So you can go back and listen to it. Yeah, but, that sounds awesome. But one thing I had to ask her was in the, that year that you're dating this guy and didn't tell me a pipeline. One, did you fool him? Like, did, did he, I'm sure that he knew. I can't imagine that somebody didn't know that. But second of all, how much work was that for you? How much focus did you have to put on hiding diabetes from him? As opposed to being open about it, how much would that have made your relationship much more relaxed? And, and you're, fruitful. You're, you can lean right. on your partner and vice exactly. versa. But having to think about having to think about hiding diabetes takes a lot of work. I mean, imagine that you were, went out with friends who didn't know you had diabetes and you had to hide that. You had to go to the bathroom to give yourself insulin. You had to give your ba- go to the bathroom to check your, your Dexcom. You had to do all those things. Like think about, you're always thinking about how can I hide this as opposed to thinking about how can I be here with my friends and have a good time? Like it's a lot right. of work. And, you know, I mean, I listen, I get it. I think that dating with diabetes is another hot topic on this podcast. And unfortunately, there are people in my past who haven't been the nicest about it, but that's just led me to people that are even more amazing. And, you know, not everyone can be the most forthcoming with with things, but I do think it takes a lot to work on it. But once you get there, like sharing that you're a diabetic, it can be very liberating for many reasons. But also, like you said, safety is so important. I can't imagine, I live with my, my boyfriend now and we moved in together in December and we actually were talking about this last night. Apparently I told him on our first date that I was diabetic. We were getting coffee or something and I think I whipped out my Omnipod PDM back in the day. Now I'm looping and it looks like a pager or something. And he was like, you have a Blackberry? And I was like, no, you're going to feel really bad. I'm actually a type one diabetic. And he was like, oh, cool. Like, you know, I'm one of my friends from college was type one. And then, you know, like it opens up a whole new, whole new thing. But now Matt is like literally just like dying to grab me a juice box, do anything for me when I'm low. And like, I would have never found such a fruitful relationship had I not been open about that because yeah, we were, you know, he's a great guy, but like, it's really nice to be able to share some of the burden of diabetes with him. Not that I'm like giving him a burden, probably not the best word to say. I'm sure Dr. Shuffledrum is probably listening to this, like, no, we talked about this, but um, it's a, uh, it's, there's a lot that can be learned about yourself and from others when you share and disclose this disease. And I feel more comfortable that he knows, especially now that we're living together. So that would be my question for your, the person you had on your podcast. Like, how is that relationship supposed to progress? <laughs> um, that's the well, first that, thing that comes out of my mind. That one didn't apparently because they yeah. broke up. But hopefully, yeah, the, hopefully the new one, it, I haven't talked to her about this, but hopefully the new one is progressing very well. Well, we're all rooting for you. If you're listening to this, we're all rooting for you. Um, but yeah, I just, there's, there's so much to talk about, about mental health and diabetes. Um, I think diabulimia is definitely something I'd like to discuss another day. Maybe if we can have you back on, it's definitely um, its its own episode worth for sure. Um, but yeah, is there any, I'm, I'm trying to think this, I usually I'm much more smooth when I'm wrapping things up, but not today apparently. Um, is there anything else you wanted to uh, touch on about your book or your podcast? Anything coming up? Yeah. So a, a couple of things I want to share. So for, first is a piece of advice is people so often think that they can control diabetes. They can control whether or not they have diabetes, at least in their mind. Um, if I, they, they think if I can pretend like I don't have it, then it's not going to really exist for me. And you have to ask yourself, like, how realistic is that? 
you know, wh- and ask yourself, what about diabetes can I control? What about my emotions can I control? What about my blood sugars can I control? And if you can, if you find something that is controllable, then by all means, dive in and try to control it. Um, you know, you, and you can think, to, think about what you can control. You can control how much insulin you take. You can control what you eat, control when you exercise. You can, you, ha- you have a lot of control about your behavior, but you don't have a lot of control. All, you don't always have a lot of control about how you're feeling, especially in the moment. And so, but when you try to control that, that just makes it much more challenging because you're fighting against a brick wall and that brick wall is not going to move in the moment. So think about, you know, basically it's kind of like the serenity prayer. Think about, you know, um, I'm not going to, I'm going to screw it up, but you know, know what you can, know what you have control over and know what you don't have control over and focus on the things that you do have control over is, is really the thing that I want to, I want to emphasize. The other thing I want to let your listeners know about is that my organization, the Center for Diabetes and Mental Health, is putting on a big uh, free virtual event on October the 6th, Thursday, October the 6th from, it'll be from 4.30 to 6.30 Pacific time. So 7.30 to um, 9.30 Eastern time. And this year we're we're focusing on uh, your values in your life with diabetes. So both your values, both your diabetes values, and that sounds a bit weird, but also the, the values you have in your life and helping you to really move in that path, even though diabetes is with you. And so we're going to have an expert come on talking about how to identify and define your values. And then we're going to talk about a lots of the challenges that get in the way of your values and give you a pathway to be able to still live out your values, even though you have diabetes. So keep an eye out for that event. It's completely free. Um, you can go to www.reimagined1d.com to register. It's not that it's, it's not up right now, um, but that website should be up in a couple of weeks. So if it's if when this podcast airs, it's not up, just check back. And we we'll look forward to seeing lots of people there. It's going to be a great event. We had one last year and it was phenomenal. And this year's going to be even better. I love that. I will definitely be joining. Um, I love virtual events. I'm still living in my semi-COVID bubble over here in New York because, you know, now we have monkeypox and a recurrence of polio. So that's a whole other <laughs> mental health discussion that I'm sure I'd love to talk to you about. Um, but another boundary setting situation for sure. But um, yeah, if a free virtual event, sign us up. I will drop the URL in once the URL is live. This episode will be coming out well before then. Um, should be dropping tomorrow. But we will definitely give a, give listeners and we can link to it on our website when it's time. Yeah. So thank you so much, Dr. Heyman. It's been so interesting. I, again, eventually would love to hear more about your venture to Paris right after being diagnosed. Um, but Listeners, you can follow Dr. Heyman on Instagram at the Diabetes Psychologist. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, there it is. At the Diabetes Psychologist on Instagram. You can follow us on Instagram at pancreas underscore pals. You can follow us on Facebook at pancreas pals PP. You can hit us up in our DMs. You can hit Dr. Heyman up in his DMs, I'm sure. Um, But probably not for free mental health advice. Anyways. Definitely not. Um, but I know Miriam gets that sometimes, so it's like SOS. But um, you can head to his website, CD as in dad or dog, mh.org. That's the Center for Diabetes and Mental Health. There's a lot of great resources there, so definitely check it out. Yeah. Thank you and the, so and actually much. The, the, better, the better resource is going to be the diabetespsychologist.com. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. You heard it here, folks. The diabetes. Psychologist.com. And if you want to want access to the book, you can either find it on Amazon or at diabetespsychologist.com forward slash book. Amazing. Um, okay, cool. So 
Thank you so much again, Dr. Heyman. We have more exciting episodes coming up of Pancreas Pals Season 9. I can't believe it's Season 9, and we don't have that many left, so it'll be Season 10 before you know it. Um, but thank you so much for listening, and thank you again, Dr. Heyman. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Today's episode was brought to you by U.S. Med Supply. Thanks for listening. Hey, Christy, have you heard of U.S. Med Supply? I think I've seen a commercial for it. It's a medical supply company, right? Yeah, but apparently they're the number one distributor for Freestyle Libre Systems nationwide, the number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash, and the number one fastest growing tandem distributor nationwide. Plus, they're rated as the number one distributor in Dexcom customer satisfaction surveys. Ooh, sounds like something I need to check out. Do they partner with most insurance companies? Yep, and they'll even help us get set up and work with our insurance companies so we don't have to spend hours on the phone. The actual dream. Right? We and all of our pals can head to usmed.com backslash pals or call 888-721-1516 to sign up now. Already on their website.